0: Uh, please turn your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 6. Excited about the opportunity here now to to look at the book of Galatians and and read through some of these things together and and think about what God would have us learn and, and do as a result of what we read in his word together. We are near the end, right? We're near the end of the book of Galatians. I think we're going to spend this morning in the first part of the end, and then uh, next time we get together in the book of Galatians, we'll, Lord willing, finish the, the epistle here. So I'm going to go ahead and read. Uh, I'm going to read verses 11 through 18, and so if you would stand with me in honor of God as we read these verses together. And the sermon, we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 13, looking at flesh-driven ministry. And then uh, the next time we're in Galatians, We're going to be looking at verses 14 through the end as we look at cross-driven ministry. So as we read this together, just kind of notice the contrast between ministry that's driven by a concern for the things of the flesh and ministry that is driven by a, a passion for the cross. So here we are in verse 11, and here's how Paul concludes this epistle. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Encourage and strengthen us through His Word this morning, and Father, we do turn our attention to You and, and ask for Your Your grace this morning. As we thought about in, in Sunday school classes this morning, we pray that we would be effective at at sharing the good news of Your Son Jesus. We thank You for the family that we are uh, saying uh, goodbye to this morning. Not that we're excited to say goodbye to them, but we're excited about ways in which you're proclaiming the gospel in your world, and we pray that you'd be effective in that. And Father, this morning we also think about just the uh, the, the series of tragedies uh, this week, even in the early hours this morning in Ohio, uh, several shootings this week. We pray, uh, Father, for families and for uh, people who loved these uh, dear ones in California and Mississippi and Texas and Ohio. And uh, Father, we, our hearts are heavy as we think about these things, and we just entrust, uh, entrust these things to you that you and your, your grace would allow uh, the gospel to be proclaimed to a, a world that is corrupt and hurting. So we pray for your grace, and we pray that our ministry our ministry to this world would not, would not be driven by our flesh that our ministry to this world would not be driven by desire to pursue these things that are so so transient and so deadly we pray instead that our our passion would be to be driven by by the cross and we would call others to be to be uh, to come to the cross to see the beauty of your son jesus and and uh, turn away from sin and corruption and turn to faith in you for eternal life we pray this Uh, By your grace, in the name of your Son, Jesus, amen. In uh, 2013, Carl Truman, uh, historian, uh, theologian, professor, uh, Carl Truman wrote an article, and in the article, he warned the evangelical church about something he called the Evangelical Industrial Complex, (laughs) And and what he meant by the evangelical industrial complex, he he was warning the evangelical church world that there were some, some large influential voices that were kind of driving church culture. He said things like celebrity pastors and big media in the evangelical world and uh, major conferences, these were kind of these, these big forces that were, that were shaping the evangelical world and they were kind of like feeding on one another and feeding upon each other and just kind of creating this, you know, the, the idea of an industrial complex, this evangelical industrial complex where celebrity pastors were driving, a, and, and the, the media that surrounds all that were, were driving a lot of the decisions that were being made in the evangelical church world that they were kind of serving in positions of leadership in. Uh, Truman warned about this, and in, in the article, he he was very tongue-in-cheek, um, which is kind of a nice way of saying he was very sarcastic, and he said, he said, I, I've been told that we don't have a problem with celebrity pastors. He says, but, but imagine that we did, and that there was this industrial complex where celebrities and media and conferences and books and all these things kind of fed on each other. What would that world look like? And then he began to describe what that world would look like, and really he was saying that's where we're at. He said, for example, and I'm kind of I'm paraphrasing a lot here, he said, uh, success, if this world existed, success would replace faithfulness. In other words, the, the leaders that we look to would be those leaders that were successful in the world's eyes, leaders that could fill out conferences and, and sell books, those would be the dominant voices in the evangelical world. He said that pastoral training, the, the training of pastors, would, would not be undertaken by men who had proved themselves faithful in churches large and small decade after decade after decade, but instead pastoral influence would be exerted by, by again, by celebrities by names of, of, of people in churches that were so large they'd be alien to any real church context that a pastor could ever truly be uh, envision himself being a part of, but that would be the dominant voices. Men would become brands. Pastors would become these brands. Catchphrases would dominate the evangelical world. And he said catchphrases like gospel-driven, which is a great phrase, but has been kind of, he would say... Devolved into just a, a catchphrase instead of a true biblical description of ministry. Overhead costs, he said. In this world, overhead costs for ministry, ministries like um, media and, and, and worship teams, those, those costs, overhead costs, would just increase exponentially as there's this need to feed the beast that we had created. Sound systems, multimedia presentations would eclipse funds spent on missionaries and discipleship and then he ended the article thank goodness we don't live in a world like that of course arguing that indeed we we do now at its heart what this evangelical industrial complex or commercialized christianity whatever you want to call it at its heart what is it characterized by it's characterized by a drive to pursue the things of the flesh. Commercialized Christianity tells us, look, the things that the flesh loves, success, uh, finances, um, accolades of people, those those things the flesh loves, you can still achieve and pursue the things of the Lord. That's, that's what commercialized Christianity tells us. It, it provides us a way to exalt the flesh even as we pretend to celebrate the cross. Does that make sense? In fact, sometimes the best way to exalt your flesh, to feed your flesh, is to seem to celebrate the cross when in actuality you're, you're commercializing it. Now, Truman wrote, Truman wrote this, this article in 2013 and now I I don't I'm very grateful, of course, for many of the influential leaders in the evangelical church and there's just some, some great conferences, of course. But as as Truman wrote those words, as he wrote that article, many of us who were in pastoral leadership at the time kind of took a step back because we really recognized ourselves in, in what he was writing there. Not that, we, not that we wanted to, to feed the flesh, but recognizing some of the goals that we had, some of the visions we had for ministry had not been shaped by a, a cross-driven desire for God-exalting ministry. But even though we thought we were doing that, we were actually at times driven by the flesh celebrating and pursuing wrong things in ministry at times. Now, as many of you know, Truman wrote this in 2013, right? And... The years since two thousand and thirteen have not been kind to the evangelical industrialized complex, right? the evangelical industrial complex. These have not been good years. Very hard things have happened over the last few years in fact i I picked up a book this this last week or two weeks ago, Ben gave me a, a book and i I um, looked at the back of it and uh, it was a book i I used. Uh, This morning in Sunday school, it's a good book, Good used in Sunday school class, and there are like 13 names that were endorsing this book. Five of those names, like over a third, are no longer in ministry, and their ministries did not end well. Another book I picked up this week, over two-thirds of the names, or fewer names, but over two-thirds of the names were no longer in ministry or have been disgraced. You think about what happened this, this past week, or two weeks, in the last two weeks, where Joshua Harris, who at a very young age, very young age, was, was held up as, a, as an evangelical leader, wrote the book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, wrote you know, sold millions of copies, became a conference speaker, and many of us looked to him and appreciated his ministry, and, and yet uh, this, this past two weeks announced that he was leaving his, his wife and leaving the faith young person exalted into, into ministry at very early age, before there have been years of faithful ministry. It's a, it's, it's a strange thing, right? And, and my, my point in saying this, my point in saying this is not to say, well, look at how, look how bad things are over there and look at how terrible it is to exalt these people into positions of influence before they've even had a, a decade of faithful ministry service. I, I'm not, I don't want to go there with the message this morning. My, my point is this. What is it in my own heart, what is it in, in your own heart that is drawn to fleshly ministry? What is it that, that causes me to be drawn to and influenced by flesh-driven ministries? Why am I not driven to those ministries that are fueled by the, by the cross? Why am I drawn to those ministries that are, that are driven by the flesh? And I think the answer is that flesh-driven ministry says, look, Daniel, look, Bethany, In whatever ministry you're in, your ministry as a parent that God's called you to, your ministry as a student that God's called you to, your ministry as a pastor that God's called you to, your ministry as a missionary, whatever ministry it is that God has called you, the flesh-driven ministry, the the flesh-driven gospel tells you this. It tells you, look, you can have those things your flesh craves and still be found acceptable to God. You, you can have your, your feet in both worlds. You can have the, the accolades of the world as a parent. You can do have the, the kid who does the things you want your kid to do as a parent, the, the friends you want them to have, the, suc- the worldly success you want them you can have that, and you can still have your child be acceptable to God, live a life that brings glory to God. The flesh-driven ministry is driven by both of those things. I want the things of the world, and I want to simultaneously have the things of God. That's what the flesh-driven ministry tells us. That's that's why it's so attractive. And in the text that we're looking at here, we're coming to a close. And Paul, as he comes to the close of the letter, remember what his concern has been: the people that he's writing to, the Galatians, have been influenced by these Judaizers, by these these false teachers. And these false teachers are telling them, look. You need to be circumcised in order to be found acceptable to God. You need to, to follow the, the Jewish laws and customs and regulations. And Paul is, 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 is ending this letter with an earnest appeal for his readers to hold fast to the true gospel. He wants to protect them against these Judaizers. And so he concludes the, the letter contrasting the ministry that these Judaizers have with the ministry that he in their lives and is urging them to resist. Here's the main idea that I want us to think about. By God's grace, by God's grace, may you and I be driven to engage in ministry that crucifies the flesh instead of celebrating it. By God's grace, as we engage in our ministry as pastors, as Sunday school teachers, as nursery workers, as parents, as teachers, as engineers, as nurses, as dentists, as whatever it is that God has called us to be, may we engage in that ministry in such a way that we are crucifying the flesh and not celebrating it. And as we think about that main idea, the goals then would be that we would not be influenced We would not find ourselves influenced by those who are engaged in flesh-driven ministry and that God would allow us to repent of those areas in which we have engaged in ministry that's driven by our flesh and not driven by the cross. Next time that we're together, we'll talk about cross-driven ministry, ministry that proclaims the cross instead of obscuring it. But, but, But this morning, We're going to look at flesh-driven ministry and the characteristics. What does this flesh-driven ministry look like? You say, well, Daniel, how can I know if this is the type of ministry I have? And I say, well, thank goodness you're here. I have the answer to that from God's word. And so let's look at some characteristics. Here's the first characteristic. Number one, first characteristic of a flesh-driven ministry. A flesh-driven ministry has and embraces worldly standards of success. A flesh-driven ministry embraces worldly standards of success. Look at the text with me, if you would. Paul says this. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. And then he says it's those who want to make a good showing in the flesh. Now, two things that I want to just highlight about about this here. Uh, The first thing, notice that he says, I'm writing with, with big letters. Now, what probably had happened is this: Paul has been having a, a scribe uh, write the rest of the letter. Now he comes to the conclusion, and he kind of grabs the, the stylus. He grabs the writing instrument, and he says, "Okay, now, now it's now it's me, Paul, writing with my own hands, and I'm I'm using large letters. You know, it's like whenever your uh, your your really crazy uncle gets on Twitter or Facebook, and he's turns on his cap letters and he starts typing about Donald Trump or Obama or something, you know, or Hillary Clinton. He, he's all cats, He's excited about it. Now, now Paul's not a, a crazy uncle, but he's using big letters. He's saying, look, this is, a, this is an important thing. I'm, I'm passionate about this subject. I want you to, to pay attention. This is important. Okay? And then he says, so that's the first thing. Notice this is important. The importance that he places upon what he's going to be talking about now. He's, he's ending the letter. And he's passionate. That they understand and, and refrain from being under the influence of these false teachers. And then notice the second thing here. Notice the the way that he describes the people who want to influence the Galatians. He describes them as those who want to make a good showing in the flesh. Now, what does that expression, good showing in the flesh, mean? It means that these Judaizers want other people to look at them And they want them to think well of them. But they want to make, so that's the good showing. But the basis upon which they want people to evaluate them is not on spiritual standards, but it's on fleshly standards. They want to look good in the eyes of those who don't have God's values, but have the values of the world The the Judaizers are driven by looking good to others. The the flesh-driven ministry isn't going to define whether or not it's doing well on biblical standards, but by worldly standards and worldly metrics. In other words, they want others to look at them and say, well done, not for the reasons that God would say well done, but for fleshly reasons. Now, oftentimes when you and I Will engage in worldly standards of success for our ministry. We'll use spiritual language. We'll define success in very worldly ways, but we'll use spiritual language to do it. When I was in seminary, there was a a uh, I took many classes on leadership, and, and one of, it was not a rare thing for the books that we read to be basically secular leadership books that had taken those principles and added a couple of Bible verses to them. Sometimes it wasn't even, sometimes the books they gave us weren't even spiritual books, weren't even pretending to be spiritual. One of the books they gave us said, okay, here's how uh, GM and Exxon and uh, whatever other companies um, define success and here's how they measure success. And then in the class, we had to read that book, a book that had no, biblical basis for talking about success and then and then in the class we talked about okay now here's how you would use that in a church context right and and we do that we do that all the time we do that in our ministry as as parents we say okay i have i have flesh driven goals my my standards for success are not god's standards for success my standards for min- my ministry as a parent are are fleshly standards and I'm going to I'm going to add some spiritual words, but at the heart, I'm driven by fleshly desires. So for example, I, I want my I want my child, my standard for success for my child is that they, they get a successful job for, for Jesus, right? Or I desire that my my child would be be popular among their peers for for Jesus. I desire that my child would be successful in, in athletics for Jesus. In other words, I've, I've taken these fleshly desires that I have, and my standards for success for my children are very worldly, but I, I'm telling myself, no, no, I'm, I'm spiritualizing, but at, at the root, what I desire is that the world would look at my child and say, that's a good kid. That's a successful child. That's a good parent. Next week we'll talk, or next time we get together, we'll talk about what a cross-centered, uh, cross-driven ministry as a parent, for example, might look like. But, but you, you see what I'm saying there? I'm not saying, what does God desire for my child? What would, what would God say about my, my child to, in order to be successful? I'm saying, first of all, what does my flesh desire for my child? Now, it's not wrong to want your child to have friends. It's not what wrong to want your child to be successful, to be able to have a good career, but that's not my standard, my ultimate standard for, is my ministry as a parent successful? Think about my ministry as as a pastor, as a person in ministry. I I, I have these fleshly desires. I want the congregation to to like me for Jesus. I want to get invited to speak at conferences, perhaps. I want to be well-respected in the community. I, I want to Um, I want to have lots of books for Jesus. You know, I want these things. Jared Wilson, in his book, The Gospel-Driven Church, wrote this. He said, Church leaders tend to gravitate toward either depth or width, depending on the style of their ministry or their personality. For those who go wide, success is all about the numbers, attendees, conversions, baptisms, missionaries, and weekly offerings. The numbers... The numbers measure God's blessings. So, if you're successful, those numbers are big, right? Now, for those who go deep, it's, it's still there's still flesh involved. He says it's still about the numbers. It's about the number of Calvin's commentaries you own, or how long your sermons are, how well acquainted you are with First, Second, and Third John. That's John Calvin, John Piper, and John MacArthur, right? So, that's, those who go deep—that's his joke, not mine. Right? You got that? Yeah. My ministry as, as, as a wife, I, I want my husband to esteem me. I want others mothers to respect me. I want my kids to admire me. I want people to see me holding everything together for Jesus, right? In other words, we begin with fleshly desires, and then we kind of baptize them, and we have these worldly standards of success. Now, again, those things aren't bad necessarily to have, but listen to what Jeremiah says to Baruch in, Baruch in Jeremiah 45. In Jeremiah 45, listen to the standards of success that God has for Jeremiah's scribe. It says in verse 1 of Jeremiah 45, the word that Jeremiah the prophet spoke to Baruch, the son of Neriah, when he wrote these words in a book of the dictation of Jeremiah. So here's, here's Baruch writing for Jeremiah, and Baruch has these desires for success. <clears throat> and the Lord says to this scribe, he says, he's, He says in verse 3, You said, Woe is me, for the Lord has added sorrow to my pain. I am weary with my groaning, and I find no rest. But thus you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Behold, what I have built, I am breaking down, and what I have planted, I am plucking up. That is the whole land. And do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. For behold, I am bringing disaster upon all flesh, declares the Lord. But I will give you your life as a prize of war in all the places to which you may go. He's saying to a scribe, look, God says to you, you're you're upset about your ministry? You're upset that it's a tough ministry. You're upset that your, your ministry as a scribe isn't this this glamorous ministry that you envisioned for yourself. You could insert other ministries in there. You're, you're upset that this ministry that you have as an engineer is not going the way that you wanted to because of your faith in Christ. You're upset that, because, that your ministry as a student in school is not yielding the, the accolades that you thought it would. Don't seek great things for yourself because these these worldly measures that you have for success, they are all going away. (laughs) You want big accolades in the kingdom, scribe? The kingdom's going to be gone in a couple months. (laughs) It's not even going to be here. And then where will you be? Brothers and sisters, flesh-driven ministry, and, and I struggle with this and you struggle with this, a flesh-driven ministry is driven by, by a standards, worldly standards of success, metrics that will not exist in the future. Prizes that will no longer be in existence in eternity, as our, our friend shared earlier during our Sunday school class. Be careful. Be careful of, of saying that you're experiencing God's favor or his displeasure while you're not achieving or are achieving Success in the world's eyes. Does that make sense? Be careful about saying God is pleased with me or displeased with me based upon whether I am or am not receiving success based on how the world would define success. Many people, many godly people who are worthy of our emulation are laboring right now in obscure thankless ministry and the true impact of their ministries will be unknown by most of the world, even most of the Christian world, until eternity. Famous people are, I'm grateful to God for famous people, but famous people should not most of the time be the most influential people in your life as a Christian. Your Instagram posts, your Twitter feeds, I don't think it's wrong to, to quote some of the, I think I do it, I don't think it's wrong to, to, to emulate some of them, but if you don't have the ability to Instagram about what someone in the women's minist- local church's women's ministry is doing or someone in the nursery is doing, perhaps, perhaps your standards of success aren't quite where they should be, right? Another characteristic of flesh-driven ministry, number two, is manipulative religiosity. Okay, it's another, another characteristic of flesh-driven ministry, manipulative religiosity. Paul says, Paul's talking here about those who want to make a good show in the flesh, and he says they would force you to be circumcised. They would force you to be circumcised. What, what does that mean? It's two questions. The first question, what were they pushing what was it they were, they were trying to force them to do? They're, they're, they're pushing circumcision. Now, what, is, what does that mean? Well, we've talked about circumcision. Circumcision here is, is what Paul is referring to as, as this, this deeper, or there's a deeper spiritual problem behind what's happening here. These Judaizers want them to be circumcised. They want them to follow the law. They want them to engage in religiosity because of their desire to achieve worldly success. They have these converts that look to them for spiritual authority. They push, essentially, they're pushing legalism, right? They're pushing legalism on the Galatians. Paul says they want to force you to be circumcised. Now, second question: What does it, what does it mean to force? Galatians 2 talks about Titus's not being forced to be circumcised. Later, Paul's going to talk about how Peter is forcing the Gentiles to live like Jews. The word here refers to the, to compelling a person to act in a certain way, using various means to to force a person to act in the way that you desire them to act, to, to, to pursue the outcome that you desire. And this type of spiritual manipulation, this this manipulative religiosity, this this compelling people to do the things that you desire them to do through manipulation, it, it's never. Never endorsed or approved by Paul. Over and over again, God calls his people not to manipulation, but to true heart change. There's been a lot in the church in the last year, a lot of conversations in the church in the last year about spiritual manipulation, about spiritual abuse. And the sad reality is that there is, there is no one in a position of leadership who is not at times going to use that position inappropriately. None of us. I don't care if you're like an older sibling who at times is going to use your position of influence to get your younger brother to eat dirt. I mean, no matter what position of authority you have, as, as a human being, you are going to exercise that authority wrongly at times. All of us in, in church leadership at times have, have exercised our position of influence in, in ways that would not honor God, and, and that, that, that requires repentance, it requires people in the church who are willing to confront that, who are willing to come, lovingly come alongside leaders and say, look, God has given you this position of spiritual leadership. You need to change how you are operating here. And it requires leadership to say, I agree and I desire to honor God. And whenever sin is manifest in, in our hearts, to, to turn from it. Parents, we influence our spiritual leadership wrongly. But but here we're talking about something uh, something that goes even deeper, but that any of us at times could be guilty of. We have to be very, very careful of this. We're talking here about spiritual manipulation. Instead of using using biblical means of influencing, so praying for someone, teaching someone from God's Word, trusting the Spirit to work on someone's heart, discipling, being gentle, showing grace, using church restoration and discipline. Instead, what's happening here is there's a reliance upon fleshly manipulation. This describes here using a variety of appeals to the flesh to get people to do the things you want them to do. So, you're appealing to things of the flesh, not to the spirit, you're appealing to things of the flesh, guilt, um, desire for, uh, an ungodly desire for, for peace, unbiblical peace, you're Desire to not undergo suffering. You're using these these this appeal to the flesh, things the flesh wants, to get a person to do what you want them to do. So some examples, and 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 I'm giving you these examples not so you think about how others have wronged you, but um, although if that if that does come to mind, there maybe there's a need for confrontation and those sorts of things, loving confrontation, working through those. But I'm giving you these so you think about your own our own guilt here as we potentially engage in flesh driven ministry so ministry that's manipulative religiosity here are some some ways that we might appeal to the flesh in unbiblical ways we we give people ultimatums like you you do this or else we use emotionalism we give people the silent treatment we act like the victim we feel sorry for ourselves we we make people around us walk on eggshells we we guilt others we we skew the facts to support our own position. We twist words. We suck the life out of people. This happens in churches all the time. This happens in families all the time. In fact, I, I had to ask for forgiveness for my own family three weeks ago for some very unbiblical Patterns of manipulation in, in ways that i was I was leading and it's it is ungodly and it has no place in the life of the believer. This is not god glorifying ministry. this is manipulative religiosity spiritual leadership is knowing god 's word and, and, and in a godly way, bringing God's people along and helping them know how to, how to get where God wants them to be. Manipulative religiosity says, okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to make life really good for you if you do what I want. I'm going to make life really bad for you if you don't what I, do what I want in terms of religion. And, and I'm going to, to do these things in a way that doesn't honor God but honors the flesh. Spiritual abuse. Spiritual abuse occurs when there's a habitual pattern of manipulation in a person's life that's used to fl- achieve fleshly goals. And there's a lack of repentance from it. And spiritual abuse has no place in Christ's true church. And where you see abuse in the church, you need to feel the freedom to expose that. We don't hide it, we acknowledge it, we deal with it by God's grace. A third characteristic of flesh-driven ministry is an avoidance of persecution, an avoidance of of persecution. Paul says here as he ends verse 12, and not only, sorry, sorry, they they do this, they want to force you to be circumcised only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Why do they want to make a good showing in the flesh? Well, they want to avoid persecution. He's getting to the motivation behind their behavior. Now, it is not wrong to take steps to avoid persecution at times. You know, say, you know what, I, I, I don't want to, Paul, Peter talks about don't, don't suffer as an evildoer. It's not wrong to say, well, you know what, I, I don't want to suffer as an evildoer, so I'm not going to do bad things. That's, that's a good thing. Or maybe, um, you know, you have, this, <laughs> you have this shirt that everyone makes fun of when you wear it. So you know what, I'm not going to wear that shirt anymore. I don't enjoy that, that, that suffering that I go through. But what Paul is talking about here is there, there is a, a suffering that people avoid because they are ashamed of the message of the cross. Because there comes a time whenever the, the message of the cross and the, the flesh are going to be at odds. And if I'm faithful to the message of the cross in my parenting, it's going to cost me my flesh. If I'm faithful to the message of the cross as a student, it's going to cost my flesh. And Paul is saying what's happened here? is that there are people who love the flesh, and so they are avoiding persecution for the cross of Christ. What had happened here is this. You have these Judaizers, and they had, ex- they had accepted to some degree the-, the message of Jesus Christ. They had believed that gospel message. But they still desired to be well-received in Jewish circles. And they didn't want to be persecuted by the Jews. They didn't want the, the Jews to speak ill of them. They didn't want to lose, lose, perhaps, some positions of prominence in the Jewish community. And so they had this idea. They had this, this brainstorm. They said, you know what? These, these Gentile Christians, if I associate with them, it's going to cause me, and, and when I need to associate with them because they've also named the name of Jesus, but it's going to cost me my relationships with these, these Jews. And then they, had, well, you know, here's a simple solution. I'll just have these Gentile Christians become Jews. Now they're now they're obeying the law, they've been circumcised, they're living in accordance with the laws of the Jews, and they've accepted Jesus. So I, I have the best of both worlds. And Paul is saying, no, no, that the moment that you are requiring Christians to do something other than, than believe in the Lord Jesus Christ— Anytime you've added some sort of works to the gospel, you have now destroyed the gospel message. And and brothers and sisters, the same is true for you and for me. As we try to have it both ways, we say, okay, I want to keep a foot in the world and continue to love the things of the world and name the name of Jesus, we have destroyed our gospel witness. You see, what you and I need to understand is the kingdom of the world does not love the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of the world will not give up power easily. The kingdom of the political world will not give up its hold on power easily. The kingdom of republicanism, the kingdom of democratism, the the kingdom of my own soul, the, the kingdom of the PTA, the kingdom of my workplace, those kingdoms do not desire to share Their power with the Lord and to recognize his rule. And so there are going to be times when you engage in the political world, when you engage in your social world, when you engage in the workplace where those kingdoms collide and you must decide, I am going to embrace persecution. We'll talk about that next time we finish the epistle of Galatians. But what we see here is a flesh driven ministry is going to say, no, no, no. I want to do everything I can, even if it costs me the clarity of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I want to do everything I can to avoid suffering. Are you prepared to endure persecution for the sake of the cross? Think carefully. Here's a fourth characteristic, a hypocritical lifestyle and ministry. We'll do this quickly here. Paul writes, Even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, that the Judaizers are advocating circumcision so the Galatians will be in obedience to the law, and yet and yet their lives are not characterized by themselves' obedience to the law. We've seen this throughout Galatians, right? Galatians 3.10, Those who rely on works of the law are under a curse, Because they don't abide by everything written in the book of the law. Galatians 5.3 I testify to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law which of course is impossible. James 2.10 talks about if you're guilty in one point of the law you're guilty in all. Uh, You write down Matthew chapter 23 Jesus attacks the Pharisees for their violations of the law and, and boasting in converts. We embrace gospel transparency not hypocrisy. And then finally fifth characteristic here, a fifth characteristic of flesh-driven ministry, pursuit of ministries that exalt self. He says, they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. You know, tonight we're dedicating a, or we're having a groundbreaking ceremony to think about a, a new building it's interesting, you know. You, you stand. This has happened a couple of us. We've looked at kind of. The, we're going to see kind of a map of the building there on the ground. And this happened last time too. Every time you look at a kind of a plot of land, it looks small, right? And no matter how big of a building you're in, you can always imagine a building a little bit bigger. The same is true for our own ministry buildings, right? our own lives. No matter how much success we achieve, we can always dream a little bit bigger. My ministry could always be a little bit bigger. The, the glory that I receive could always be a little bit bigger. And Paul says, look, these people that are driven by the flesh are not driven by a desire to exalt the cross, but they, they, they desire to have you like a notch on their belt. They want to boast in your flesh. By God's grace, brothers and sisters, you and I must be driven to engage in ministry that will crucify the flesh and not celebrate it. Let's pray. Father, we pray for our hearts. We pray that in your grace you would convict us of ways in which we're pursuing our flesh. We pray that we would instead be driven by the cross desire to see those who are in our lives embrace the truth of the gospel and allow us father not to be driven by a desire for our own accolades not a desire for uh, to boast in our own name but to exalt and lift up the name of your son Jesus in his name alone we pray this in his name amen